Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. We met on a blind date in Piedmont Park. And how we got to the blind date is I had met his sister when I was out on a date with another young guy. And we, you know how you meet people and you exchange numbers? I'll call you sometime. So uh, it was a 4th of July weekend and that relationship had broken up and he had moved on. And so it's like, okay, what am I gonna do for the holiday weekend? So I said, where's that phone number, that couple I met? And I called his sister up and she said, well, I have to work, but my brother just moved to town. And me being working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I was like working at the newspaper. And she said, well, my brother uh, works in radio and he's a news guy. I said, well, that sounds great. Have him call me. So call me, he did. And he was so charming. <laughs> well, it was easy to be that way. Yeah, yeah. And that day, the next day I was gonna go sailing in the races in uh, Savannah, right off of Hilton Head, and just kept on thinking about this wonderful, bright, funny, beautiful, intelligent, warm, loving mother who had a great sense of, of civil rights and the need for volunteering and helping with the community. And just said, no, oh, she seems to be Rather fascinating. Let me let me see if there's something there. So when we were out on the ocean, I was sailing, and I kept on thinking about it. So I called her and uh, arranged the date for the next couple of days. No, we hadn't met. Uh, my sister just said, you know, you're you're going for the races and on the fourth of July, and uh, you're you're working now. It was the third of July. I was covering the city hall finance committee meetings for the budget and I in, Atlanta. Called in Atlanta and I called from city council president's phone Marvin Arrington during a break and so we got married one year later on the exact day the same hour we met uh, in city hall they had to pass an ordinance with all city council members because no one had ever asked to do that before but I wanted to I wanted everybody to, gets married downstairs in the clerk's office I wanted to get married in the council chambers where in fact I first called her. I just thought it would be a little romance. And Andy Young and uh, Joe Lowry, uh, Mayor Andy Young and Joe Lowry married us, Reverend Joe Lowry. Who, at the time, I had done volunteer work for SCLC and helped. And I was on SCLC Women and got to know Evelyn Lowry really well. And also through that connection, uh, Carolyn Watson was also volunteered with us. And of course, now she went on to marry Andy, so I knew them back. And they're two incredible people. Even before Aaron Just like born. Evelyn and Joe. And you try to, Joe talked about the, uh, the spiritual side of love. I believe, I guess, I believe that uh, a belief in God, and the understanding of what Jesus taught, and the concept of selflessness is important for personal growth as well as being able to share in love with the community, uh, to be able to offer the most you have to your wife on every given situation. I guess that's the secret of a great relationship. My mother and father were married 68 years happily. My grandparents were married 77 years happily. And I always saw how there was this huge understanding of the need for a marriage filter, meaning that you don't have to complain all the time. You don't have to criticize all the time. I just noticed the four of them in their relationship lifting each other up all the time, having fun, going places, having experiences, sharing each other's friends. I, I, I remember my dad who was a veteran of World War II and, and how he would have his veteran buddies over and their wives. And I just learned so much about what it meant to be black and be an American. And, having friends, and so relationships, and the secret to relationships, I think, is having a filter, knowing when to say and what to say, those vital things that 
create trust, the, the trust between your wife and your kids and friends and relatives are very important. I mean, it's the foundation to all relationships, and so that whole theme of trust I use as an organizational development and talent consultant when I'm teaching. It's like, and you have to be responsible for your personal trust as well as the trust on the team. But anyway. Well, no, I mean, the, the key is understanding also. in a relationship there are going to be tough times. No relationship is perfect because perfection doesn't exist. I mean, therein lies our humanity. We have to be self-aware, you know, and if you're not self-aware, then you're going to have a hard, tough time in life because everything will perplex you and you'll be in a constant state of uh, confusion and frustration because you have to be able to own, you know, you have to be able to own the implications of words and actions. You know, you have to sometimes do that. I met Tracy when I was 27 years old. I had, my career was going great, right? So I had evolved from everything from, you know, with having this, for my little non-exempt government job in D.C. to going to the University of Maryland to graduating, having one great first start job in Tennessee, and then as a college recruiter, you know, I came to Atlanta to work for the newspaper, which I'm in the media, yay! And so everything was going good. I had with my little red BMW, and uh, I was a single mom, and uh, that's when I met, I met Tracy. I mean, that was the beginning of the story. Well, no, I had always been involved with uh, public service and community affairs outside of my reporting and uh, producing and being news director for a local radio station, Morty Anchor, and also doing television and, and print, and really liking to be involved as an advocate journalist uh, for awareness about issues dealing with black folk and dealing with uh, how diversity deals with issues of this great country and how great this country is and how great the relationship between blacks and whites has been and will continue to be, but also the need for understanding the importance of immigration, civil and human rights. And I approached my job and then my entire life with what can I do to help in some small way um, keep this country moving as a progressive voice of, of really reason that things aren't as bad as it may seem if indeed we all work together. That being said, I was 27 and I was uh, involved with covering politics and volunteering for the community and met this wonderful young lady. I wasn't, I was dating not seriously anyone. I had always, I hadn't had a lot of relationships uh, in the sense that I would always go with one person at a time. I found dealing and dating with black women confounding and perplexing and confused and complex enough that I didn't need more than one at a time. I mean, I know I don't know how these guys, player player just took too much time and energy from me. I grew up in, in an environment of the church, an atmosphere of uh, monogamous relationships, and you went with one person, and then when you stopped for any reason, I, most of the time it was because I was working too hard and, and involved with the movement, so to speak. But um, I wasn't looking for anything in particular. I just enjoyed sailing and doing community work and golf. And No, it sort of hit like a thunderbolt over about six months. After about five months, after getting to know her and her family and her dreams. And then love is unique and sort of... Um, strange in that way. It sort of sneaks up on you. And then you have to ask yourself the existential question, is this the type of person or the person I could see myself spending my entire life with, growing old with and dying with, and seeing the glow in her eyes at my last breath? And it came back resoundingly yes, so that's why I proposed on Valentine's Day at... Uh, Sam and Gloria's house, our buddies here in Atlanta, um, whose best man, Sam was my best man, and now he's a 
reporter in Washington with WJLA covering politics, but uh, just a great guy. His wife is just wonderful. She was a reporter with CNN and it, it just seemed, we ran around a lot here in Atlanta and it just seemed important to, to uh, propose at a place where there's friends. I mean, we, we've had friends that we've known for 20, 30 years in the church that I played poker with. That, uh, so for me, when we met, I guess more to the point is that perhaps based on, you know, my earlier experiences, I was a little bit more jaded, right? Because I had kissed a bunch of frogs, right? <laughs> and I just felt like when I met Tracy, it felt like Camelot. It just felt like this guy is so completely different from, you know, slick, right? And so authentic. And I saw his values and the whole civil, covering the civil rights. My father was a community activist when I grew up. I was a part, a child of that, a child of, in D.C., you know, home rule carrying picket signs. And so it kind of aligned with, and then aligned with who he was and then also seeing the relationship that he had with his parents and their values also, it seemed familiar and comfortable and somebody that seemed as if I really, you know, that, that, that I mattered and when I'm like gonna be 102, somebody that's gonna wipe the dribble from my face and help me remember our first date when my memory is just completely shot. And change your diapers. <laughs> but well, they, my memory is already starting to go, and so he's great oh, no, at reminding no. me on things. Oh, but you remember I'm just getting a little things. bit forgetful. No, exactly. you're doing great. Right. When we first met in July, my d daughter every year would go to a sabbatical with my parents back to DC and stay the whole summer. So it wouldn't have been at the earliest till when she came back for school, which would have been sometime in like late August. So it was probably there. Were you there? I don't. About what? I don't, I don't remember being, I don't, I don't have a nervous memory. I can't really tell you. No, I'm not, I don't generally get nervous about anything really um, that I can think of simply because I mean, I, it was an authentic relationship. I loved her mom. Uh, I knew that she had a daughter from day one. I knew that as the uh, relationship evolved, that if I married her, I would have to get buy-in with Tisha, the daughter. And Who at the time was 11. Right, and, and to be quite honest, I've always gotten along great with kids because I do volunteer work with kids' programs and develop kids' programs. With, but Even today, corporate but now, social responsibility. But back then, I mean, you were a 28 year old. Even guy. that, I did see, internship with different programs. And that just shows you the content 100 of his black men and stuff like that. Well, that's now. I'm talking then. When he well, was, even then, in, at the radio station, I did programs for youth and brought them in. But into when he was in college, you also did those, those, those um, emergency crisis center yeah, volunteer yeah, phone yeah, call yeah. kind but, of guy. But, but that's with your daughter, to the point. She was a reflection of you and all your glory. And she was a wonderful young lady who was uh, just so smart, so funny, still is today. She's still so bright. And I adopted her a year after we got married. I asked her before I asked Eileen if I could marry your mom. Uh, I asked her dad. And, My father, not <laughs> and And realized that it would be a lifelong commitment raising this young lady. Uh, but it was no struggle because I knew I was committed to having an intact family that, to me, life is a metaphor for sailing. You're either in a storm, you're coming through a storm, uh, or you finished a storm. And man, life is messy, and it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, but I think that authentic life is based with experiences with the person you love more than material things of what you can buy. I mean, sure, we've traveled around the world, around this country, and different vacations and working. But the truth of the matter is, I enjoy the barbecues with the kids, sitting on the porch, drinking iced tea after church, coming home after work or dealing with a client, and I do advertising and public relations and corporate social responsibility programs, but with her, with teaching and doing diversity work and 
you know, the best times are the quiet times and supporting her, being involved with her friends, letting her be involved with mine, growing together, being involved with the kids, being involved with the grandkids. And I think therein lies the meat of life, the everyday being and nothingness of trying to make life work. And that's what's so perplexing to a lot of people. But I think that it all comes, as Eileen said, from character, not your reputation, because your reputation is what other people think of you, I think. Your character is the way you are when no one's looking. And then the other, I just want to jump in and make a point, which in terms of goes back to where I was when I met Tracy. So again, I'm saying my experiences have been a little bit jaded, kissed a number of frogs, here's somebody authentic, cares about me, wants to be involved with my daughter, right? Even the parents, they were grand worthy matrons in the, you know, um, Mason and Eastern Star, right? And so, but there was no judgment of me. And that's my point is that, you know, sometimes I hear even, you know, my friends, you know, you hear sometimes a little, you know, the, the upper crust women when they're talking about their precious sons, well, don't date a woman with kids. I'm like, I'm offended. I was a single mom with kids. So you're saying, I take that as a personal affront. And then women too, sometimes they'll discount men that have children just from, without even looking. And I'm just saying, you're, narr you're narrowing your funnel. And so you might be blocking your blessing is all I'm saying. So that's my point. That's a very good point, I never thought of that. And if you're not ready to date somebody with kids, you're not ready to date somebody with kids because if you fall in love with the kids, you know, if you, you know, if you fall. So, but I'm just saying, and I guess that just serves to my thought, having some of the work that I've done through land, my landmark education is that part of it is just throwing out all the list and just being authentic and just starting from there. And start when you start from nothing, and we can, when, when you can put all of your preconcept things and set it aside and start from nothing, then you can see anything. And when you can see anything, you can innovate, you can create, you can have the perfect love, you can have your career, you can have what it is that are your you know, wants and desires and so. Well, I think that's a great idea and a great point of view because you have to be committed as an individual to be a couple and you have to be aware of what the possibility is mm -hmm. of what's a great relationship for you mm -hmm. and if you're incapable of visualizing that because of a lack of role models that's that's difficult I mean with 400 years of slavery with us having difficulty as black folks with the nuances of love through social economic problems with um, with problems with incarceration, with problems with our community, uh, feeling a need, some people have a need to discriminate or ostracize gay and lesbian couples having kids, which I believe they should be allowed and, and encouraged if they feel like they want to to have kids. Uh, I think that, you know, with our immigrant community and people coming in from Africa and the Caribbean and our brothers from Central and South America. And I think by opening up our borders, we open up our arms to the possibility of love between a lot of people. And whether you're black or white or, you know, we there was laws against black and white people marrying in our country less than 50 years ago. And so you know, those relationships are, are under scrutiny, but I believe everybody, no matter who they are, what background they come from, should, if they want to, have a, a possibility of loving someone and supporting someone and encouraging someone and being a team cheerleader for that person. And, and to be quite honest, if, if you have this kind of love that's pure, that's constant, that's overriding, that's overarching. If you keep your focus on the fact that we will survive this or we will exalt this or we will enjoy this together, I think that leads to a more rewarding life. And at the end of the day, you leave a legacy of having love and loving people because loved people love people. 
and anything less. And I've coached couples that are thinking about it. And we've hooked up a lot of people because... And I really like that line. You know, I want to say it again. You know, loved people love people. And whether or not you come from a culture of that in your own family or you create it yourself, I don't believe that I'm really outside the statistical norm. I and mean, we know we party with a lot of couples that have been married. I mean, we've been married 33 years, but it's, it seems like just 33 minutes because <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like enough. Well, we do have a, one of the couples that are one of our dear friends. So when you talked about having the list, so when they talk about their first date, right? Their first date, they saw each other out at a restaurant, exchanged numbers, and then they had a phone call. And when they had the phone call, he recounts that he literally had a notepad with categories. And she said, in the con and they were on the phone for like two hours, and it was him facilitating, because he was in sales, right? He was in sales, so he was used to interviewing people. And so she just recalls his phone call. And uh, not in a negative way, but just they laugh at it now, how at the end of that phone call, he, and then it was almost like, what, two days, two couple of dates later, he already said, well, you're going to marry me because he had completed his list. He needed her time to figure out that she was the one for him. So it's just a real cute story. Well, first year, I don't remember um, anything really dramatic. No, I mean, our relationship has always been really easy. What I remember most, and I don't know if it happened in the first year or not, but my 11-year-old daughter, who initially was, you know, just real gung-ho because she did not have a relationship with her father, and here's this warm, loving guy, and so, yes, marry him. And then once he was there on a daily basis and having accountability for doing homework and not stepping over things, it was like, who invited this guy to the party? So in any event, but that, you know, that worked itself out. But that's about the only thing that, that I remember. And then I remember the relish beef story, which is our first year. That's an ongoing joke that we've had. So, you know, his mom is a great cook, probably more of a cook than my mother. And because she was more of a homemaker, I had a working mother. And um, so she was constantly canning things and sending something over because they had relocated to Atlanta and were nearby. And so I was going to entertain my in-laws and uh, I had some beef or something that I was going to make barbecue out of. So I thought, well, I'll impress her by putting some of the barbecue sauce on this beef that my mother-in-law had given me. And so I did that, served it up, only to find out it wasn't barbecue sauce, it was just relish. And so hence, <laughs> hence it wasn't the hit meal that I thought it was. And so anytime we want to talk about my creativity and cooking that doesn't work out, we use the example of the relish beef. Oh, well, you're always able to discover new recipes. <laughs> you're a fabulous cook. and I, I, I think Right, but that's about all I can recall from our first year. I can't remember any problems really I mean I think the even keeledness of a relationship is based on the emotional intelligence of the parties involved and the commitment to really be active in the art of living and I think that uh, my task was to jump in as quickly as possible and to develop with Tisha boundaries and understanding that Homework will be done. She will go to bed early enough so she's not tired. She will eat her meals. She will keep her room cleaned up. And, and when you're a single mom sometimes, you have to pick your battles because you get tired. So having somebody there that's got your back. And I think, you know, being able to know all of her friends, limit the amount of time she has with them. Kids, to me, by and large, have to be treated somewhat under the concept of trust and verify. I mean, you can understand and love them, but you have to be ever vigilant because they will test boundaries because that's what kids do. And you don't get upset, you don't get thrown by that. What you do is you accept the reality of that's the way kids understand what their limitations are and grow and create from that. And I think with Tisha, she was a great daughter. I don't remember any huge problems and she's grown up to be a great uh, mother, 
great wife. Um, still love her so much because she has such a commitment. I mean, she's very active as president of her school PTA. Uh, I'm very proud of our other daughter who we had, uh, Aaron, two years after we got married. We were born in 1982. Yeah. And... I mean, we were, 1984. We were with friends, Renee Ferguson, and we were at a restaurant, and it was just so funny. I remember like it was yesterday. She said, so why don't you have another kid? This was our first year of marriage, right? And so I've got a daughter that's 11. You know, I'm with my, you know, I'm in Camelot. I mean, he's my knight in shining armor, right? She's like, why don't you have another kid? I'm like, I hadn't really thought about having another. This is a good thing we got going here, this first year of marriage. But Renee, bless her heart, and she's so wonderful. And she says, have it, I'll help take care of it. By the time I got pregnant, CBS had transferred her to New York, so she was gone. So She, she was a reporter here in the Southeast, <laughs> and then she went to Chicago and yeah, so she's head up Chicago. the investigation there. But the point of it is, is just that life happens in such strange and and twisting and turns. And so we, in fact, said, well, yeah, we've been married a year and and uh, let's try to have a baby. And so just by thinking about it, it happened. And uh, Aaron's turned out to be such a wonderful young lady and she's a great mother, a great business person. Can I do a shout out to her business now? Beauty Love Spa, it's located in Brookhaven. And so she's a wonderful, talented esthetician, uh, lash extension artist. Um, she has a clientele of everyone from the entertainment industry, judges, doctors, housewives, nurses. Well, we've hit the fledgling the, artists. You know, we've hit she's the jackpot great. because she's I great. think People the jackpot in life that we've hit is having two great daughters. Plus, we have a couple of great grandkids. My uh, oldest daughter, Tisha, uh, his son, their son Tristan, and uh, Aaron. With, His uh, birthday Tahira. is next Saturday, and he'll be uh, he'll be eight. And then our granddaughter Tahira, who is nine. And so having a grandson and a granddaughter uh, really bring the circle of life together. And I think that's what people miss that don't venture into marriage or a monogamous relationship is the being able to see a family grow and to be able to support each other. And I feel my role with them as their grandmother is to pour as much back into them as, you know, the love, the wisdom, the values, the expectations that, that they're part of something just bigger than themselves. So, You're a great grandmother. Well, right. So we were always going out. I mean, we always were going out because at that time, then Tracy, in addition to having been the news director for one of the top R&B stations, he was then freelancing for Entertainment Tonight and some of the syndicated news shows and doing producing pieces. And so there was always an opening here, a restaurant there. You know, there were ballet tickets. There were, and I loved it. And so, you know, and then he, then he had his account when he was doing PR with... Um, the uh, limelight, which was back in the 80s, the top disco in Atlanta. So they, he was in the business. So we were just 24-hour daycare. And um, But I think, too, that even though there was a lot of things we went to, we always made the central focus the kids. Well, that's true. And I, I think that... But we carved never, out a lot of time for ourselves. Yeah, was, we went I to a lot of stuff. I, I was never really enamored with all of the stuff and bright lights and everything, more so than I was committed to raising two wonderful girls and and having a, a supportive, loving relationship with a fantastic woman. And I think that by keeping the focus on the family and taking them to activities at church and taking them to, when I was working on the King Federal Holiday and the commission and the parades and producing the parades and the, and the activities uh, with Stevie for the first holiday. I think the, the thing is, the lesson I learned from Coretta and, and Daddy King and Joe and Andy and uh, John and James Orange and all the people that were in the movement was that I would, I would see so many people who were interested in being leaders but failed in some part, to lead their own family forward. 
And I never wanted to have that. I never wanted to have my kids say that you were more interested in other people than you were in me and you were never there. So no matter where I went, uh, whether it was in, with Jesse when we went to Nicaragua to check out the uh, airfields or and uh, calling my daughter from Mexico at the president's palace when I was there with uh, Jesse Jackson for his presidential sweep through the Central and South America and having her uh, tell me, well, look, Dad, I'd love to talk, but this boy's about to ask me to dance. And, but just letting her know that I was thinking of her special day, even though I was working and doing this thing. Uh, but I think that more importantly, men, all men, black and white, should step up to the plate and realize that it's a partnership with wives. I found the less I try to be a leader and the more I try to be a servant, the more I'm loved in return. I firmly believe that it's a game of not one-upsmanship, it's out-loving each other. Because if you do that every day, I believe in the sexy thing one sexy thing is washing the dishes, uh, cleaning the toilets, taking out the trash, uh, doing the shopping without being told, uh, making the bed, giving her breakfast in bed in the morning, making those things everyday habits so they aren't anything special. I don't think I'm special. I think a lot of husbands do this. I, I don't think I'm outside of the statistical norm. I think a lot of husbands do that because there's a lot of happily married people out there. And in spite of the doom and gloom, I don't think marriage and monogamy and love and uh, inherent values of selflessness and being a good parent, I think that will rule today. And I think there's enough young people like yourself who are moving in that direction. I think you'll be great parents from what I've seen. It's patience. It's compassion, it's keeping your sense of humor, and it's being able to be humble and realize that, you know, love should be easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> to quote that great philosopher Lionel Richie. Yeah, and, and that goes back to that whole love languages in terms of the way that some people will do it in gifts and that's the way that they expect it. So whether it's the words, whether it's the gifts, whether it's the service, whether it's the, the acts of appreciation, um, you have to... Um... But I do like to write love poems to her. Oh, I, yeah, I, do I like one that I, to, I can show you. To uh, bring her flowers on anniversaries and birthdays and go sailing and barbecues. And I think our last celebration for our anniversary, we took our granddaughter to... Six Flags. Yeah, so now we've, are, we've evolved in terms of uh, our anniversaries and our celebrations to be more inclusive. So because we babysit our granddaughter to hear us, she's with us a lot. It's like, well, it's our anniversary. Just come on, go with us. And so she adds so much to it. I think the friends who friends, you have yeah. and can share in the relationship, we have wonderful supportive friends who are active in the community and sports and just married friends right, that are just, yeah. you know, they've been married 30, 35 years. So there's this one particular couple, Tyrone and Shahara. So Shahara and I both have birthdays August the 2nd and our, their husbands are best golf buddies. And so for at least 15 years, we will celebrate our anniversary, our birthdays together. And we will celebrate um, Valentine's Day together. So we had done the years of going out and then Tracy, uh, ever the romantic, suggested, why don't we, why don't the guys cook Valentine's Day dinner for the wives? Yeah, and the concept really revolved around John Fowler and I. John's a great guy, wonderful businessman, very active in the church. His son plays for the uh, but that, Cubs. But it started the Love Tyrone, Shack. The Love Shack. Right. And Tyrone and I were talking about, let's cook dinner. Let's, let's write up invitations to our wives and create a special menu and uh, let's cook it. So we did it for a few years by ourselves and then another golf buddy of ours, John Fowler, said, well, hey, I want a piece of that action because he had been married 35 years, well, 30 years of time. And so we wound up doing this. So we had the three of us 
candlelight. Menus that we menus. printed up. We dressed uh, in formal attire. Plus we had, uh, we all had to, the three of us had to write a poem that we read to the wives. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, you have to do as much as possible to keep the music playing in every way possible. And John and Trudy and Tyrone Shahira and I, uh, it, it was just a great opportunity to show our wives how, how special they were. And I think that that's the challenge of a life that has a love that extends over a long period of time. It's recognizing the small moments, celebrating the occasions. I mean, we have friends we, we love going to concerts with, uh, going to plays. Uh, but let me go back to the love shack. So, so we had been so we had been doing this, and of course for several years. And then this young woman that I worked with, who had just gotten married, and so she was looking to our relationship and talking about Valentine's. Are you talking Day. about Danita? I'm talking about another couple, oh. right? And so, um, so anyway, she said, "Oh, Valentine's Day." She says, "You know, with the that sounds great." So she wanted in. So then she was, her view was, all right, so what are the, what are the girls cooking? I'm like, that ain't this kind of party. And if your guy isn't into this, this might not be the opportunity for you. Anyway, I just thought that Is was really Is this Phil cute. and Marlena? And we have another couple, Phil and Marlena, who we enjoy barbecuing with and just sitting out on the patio and having an adult beverage or two and, you know, martinis and seafood or whatever. But yeah, we call it the love shack. And my approach to life is this trying to blow up every moment to be the ro most romantic, uh, understated, yet, yet uh, elegant opportunity. You know, we've done picnics in the park, going by the pool, uh, sailing, uh, boating with friends, uh, these vacations, going to NASA and... The big times, well, our big anniversary. Oh, it was London and Paris and yeah. Was that 30? Yes. Yeah. And so, no, it was 25, I think. Yeah, 25. But the point of it is, it's just that whether it's it's driving through the mountains, Rocky Mountains, going to Washington to visit her friends. Not the Rocky Mountains going to Washington. I mean, Washington. not those. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, they're not on the West Coast. We go through the the rock, the, um, the Smoky Mountain. Yeah. Right, right. One of those. <laughs> One of those mountains. One there. of those great American frontier opportunities <laughs> not the Rocky that, Mountains. that let you I've see the heartland right. of all of our our wonderful. Okay, okay, okay. But no, I mean, her family and friends in Washington D.C. provide such an opportunity to visit. And uh, I think we're really very lucky. And I, I think that's why, you know, I think we, we're, we're not really nothing special, just uh, happily married, normal, sort of uh, always trying to add to the moment and, and the flavor of life. Well, there's two types of storms that I think about. I think about the, the storm of losing your parent, you know, is, is a storm. Um, I think about the uh, storm when you lose jobs and you're in between and you're trying to manage or you're trying to create something else as a storm. But I think that the, the biggest storm that has been the most, that I've learned the most of was the, for me, uh, with my mother having Alzheimer's and that ha happens over a period of time. And then six years later, the you know storm when my dad passed, because then all of a sudden it's I'm a, I have this feeling I'm an orphan, and that we're it, you know we're and so not that there was anything missing or wrong, but just the whole you're coming to grips with our own mortality, and just being so at peace with the person that's going to be there with me through all of that, and to not view it with fear but to view it from a sense of power and so I think that was a big growing opportunity just in terms of getting getting and dealing with um, the mortality of my parents and then going through with my husband with the loss of his parents who were lovebirds up to the end even in the nursing home you would walk in and they'd be in their wheelchairs holding hands sitting in the big room to um, them one, his dad died first and then losing his mom like eight weeks later. 
she was just heartbroken that her husband had gone and just seeing that and and it had such an emotional toast her husband is such an emotional person and just just being there to support him in that and it's you know okay when you know uh, you know real men cry so that was a big um, growth bonding thing having to be able to share that with him over those years what she said no I, th- I think that I really don't have any outstanding stories of difficulty or triumph because I have a tendency to to view everything as really just a wonderful journey from start to finish to here we are now and I think that's uh, symptomatic of having someone you love with you that bumps out the really high points and really low points and so, so if I could I just remember the point I've forgotten if I don't say it now I'll probably forget it again say it honey just in terms of something that I learned in the first year of marriage you asked about that is what Tracy he had more of a zen like view of you know going through the store going to a store I'm going through the store what and so I was a little bit more kinetic and so that was one of the what does that mean you know how you said you would tell me that I was or what was the word um, lovely no well you told me that sexy too. no but it was more I tended to be more it's not it's, it's not it's not the word kinetic um, well we will use that for this situation all right but anyway I had a tendency to kind of and so with him it was like because he's a Libra maybe he's in more balance I'm a Leo whatever whatever you want to make of well, that I, I but anyway know. but that was a point I was just trying to make just in terms of that first year not letting things make me but taking more of a long long game view of life that's the point taking a long game view of life instead of playing a short game yeah and I, th- I think too that that becomes almost like a golf game and we see it when we even go to the masters how the truly greats realize that one or two strokes you can't dwell on those problems and, and missteps and you have to look at the whole 18 hole course and you have to look at the fact that you are going to make a mistake and you are going to have missteps and you are going to have shots that you really wonder about but you have to keep it in perspective and I think what you're saying is that uh, you know whether it's Zen it's whether not my Christian background with being able to say at times when times get rough or when there's chaos around I like to fall back on the line You know, I shall not want. And, you know, so many things that we get upset about are things that we want. But, you know, the Lord is my Savior, I shall not want, is a line that comes to mind. Because if we can strip ourselves of all these things that we think we want and realize that that the key things are a good relationship, a wonderful love, fantastic uh, kids, great friends, a great movement in the community, volunteering and helping out. And we serve on the new members ministry at our church, Turner Chapel AME and Marietta. And being active, I think, in so many different ways uh, helps create this bountiful relationship. Like any garden, and I think it's important, and one of the secrets of a great relationship is that you have to constantly water it. You know, pull out the weeds. Be aware that there are going to be times in which storms will come and knock down your your flowers. But if you're able to be a good gardener and tend to the soil and, and give it nutrients and vitamins and water it and uh, keep protected against the cold, and of course this is a, a hugely inappropriate metaphor that I don't know whether or not is working out, but I just feel you have to be constantly vigilant in a marriage against negative things and push those things and exercise that ability to strive towards excellence and character and ethics and loyalty and lifting up instead of putting down. We have difficulty being around couples that we see are basing their relationship on one-upsmanship. And it's being right. Some people are so into being right and having the last word. You know, I said the address was I give it the address and the address is in southeast. No, it was in northeast. And so I'm going to fight you to the end until, you know, whether it was cloudy that day that two weeks ago. No, I remember it was partially sunny. So it, 
it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I've eliminated a lot of those pro right, problems those because I started early on letting her decide how to get to a place and driving in directions, even though I'm capable of traveling all around the world in this country in this great city. You know, when I'm with her or my other two daughters and now my granddaughter, it's like, go left, go right, stop, go forward. And the point of it is, it's just that I don't try to use my directions on going anywhere anymore. Um, <laughs> for the last 25 years, I've really learned that um, when we get there and how we get there is not as important as how we are when we get there. And vacations, I stop every time somebody has to go to the restroom, anyone gets hungry. I, quite honestly, really don't care about arriving at any place on time because as long as it takes for her to get beautiful or the kids to get ready, uh, I think the last time we were on time for something was 1840. Uh, uh, no, wait a minute. But I, <laughs> but I don't was care. A joke. That I don't was a care. joke. But, but I will say this, that was a joke, and we get to a lot of places But on it takes time, time to however, create a masterpiece. A masterpiece however, and a diamond however, takes however. a long time to create. And if you understand and appreciate a woman for who she is and all of her loveliness, you have to realize that even as you're, you say you're ready to go, I, I look at ESPN or just read and check my email until she's ready to go. And there's never a problem because I want her to be as happy as possible when we get there. Okay, well, let me tell my funny story about uh, the day that we got married. So the day we got married, basically I'm about 40 minutes late to the wedding because that morning I had an appointment to get my hair done. And Pat, your Aunt Patty flies in and said, I want to get my hair done too. So we go to the black beauty shop and this beauty shop that I went to get my hair done, it wasn't as if it was a beauty shop that I had any relationship with I, because I just picked them. And uh, I did not realize that in black beauty shops, people get there early and you got the regulars and there is a pecking order. So basically we were late getting out of the beauty shop because your aunt Patty wanted to have her hair done first. So we go flying home to get ready and get into our you know, and so everyone else is at the church and my dad, who is going to escort us to the church, he's pacing by the time I get home because he knows what time. And unlike me, dad is a stickler for time. So he finally says to me as I'm finally ready, well, what time is this wedding going to start anyway? And I replied, it won't start before I get there. So, <laughs> and the funny thing was, is that Tracy, and like I said, we had everybody was already at the uh, council chambers and they're sitting in their seats and we have a string quartet from Clark College and they're busy squeaking it out, waiting for me to get there. And so, of course, um, you know, uh, Mayor Andy Young, Reverend Young and Reverend um, Joseph Lowry go back and say to Tracy, oh, son, <laughs> you think there's a problem? And to wit, my husband says, no, she's girly. I mean, I, I expected her, <laughs> you know, going to the hairdresser, I understand having a sister, you know, you can come out Tuesday after. But, he, 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 but the funny thing was he wasn't concerned. I arrived. There's pictures of me running up the stairwell that the uh, photographer got with my dress. And we get there and we walk in and the ceremony is just absolutely lovely. And so I married my Prince Charming that day. But anyway, that was my thing I wanted to just interject. Well, the thing that bothered me was that he was always so effusive in complimenting me, right? And and it was like, but I know my shit stinks. How come you won't admit that? Oh, darling, you know, no, it smells like flowers, you know? And so, yes, it did take a while to say, you know, is he for real? Why is he always so positive? So. Well, you know, it goes back to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, you know, as far well, that as... that was her question to me, though, so... I know, but... Let, it, let her ask me some more But stuff. you're so wonderful, you deserve that right. I follow that up with a comment <laughs> to validate the fact that... that my feelings about you not only support you, but reaffirm your worthiness. And I, I think sometimes you're so introspective, sometimes you don't... Well, you I don't realize sure that I'm getting the tru a truthful answer and not... A, because he was in reporting and PR, not the political well, spin. That, that's... Right, so that, that's the rub sometimes. Okay, so let her go to... Ask me another question now. And I don't think there's a need to find a balance. I mean, she's, 
she's the way she's supposed to be, and she is authentic in the way she is. I am in the way I am. She owes me nothing. She she does not have to change for me, and I think that's the inherent madness of relationships that have problems, where you marry somebody and you say, I'm going to change this about him, or I'm going to change this and reconstruct this about her. I think that people have to be more realistic when they enter into a relationship. You're buying the car as is. Okay, all right, so, all right, so, uh, <laughs> so I think that, like, that it is a evolutionary process, and I, you know, and so there's, but, but seeing that and accepting that, it was like, okay, I can just totally let my guard down. I don't have to pretend to be a particular kind of a way, you know? It's like, I don't have to hold it in, you know? <laughs> I don't have to have my spanks on all the time for him to think I'm cute, right? You're so, cute all the time. And so it's let go and let love in. So that's my answer. You know, we are as we are as black folk, as, as proud Americans, as people who live in a dynamic growing place like Atlanta. And but uh, but, I, the, I don't think but that, to the question she had asked, I failed to see something as remarkable right. but about the, our to story. The question that she has asked is for, as you know, I'm sure you can relate and women out there can relate is that, you know, trying to separate the wheat from the shaft out here in the Dayton field is no easy feat, right? You know, whether it, you know, you got to have your bifocals on you know, it takes a, it takes a village to vet, you know, somebody that you're going to, you know. So it is it is something, and I think that um, both uh, that my my oldest daughter, who got married, um, she, she married after. Well, she got married first, but it was after my other younger daughter had moved into a long-term committed relationship. And so the um, person that she met also has similar values. Um, perfect no is he, he is not a carbon of Tracy, but you can see his commitment to his family. So that's great. My youngest daughter, um, her, her dating world is a little bit, probably because she's closer to your age and also being in the um, industry because she had done acting and film and you know you know you've got your certain you know um, you know well how do you feel about I think that that this whole internet dating and her sister but, but, being involved but with what that. I was but what I was saying is that when she when she introduced us to well not introduced us to but when we had dinner with um, her and to hear and he was going to propose to her. One of the things that she said to him is, you know, you should watch my father because this is the way he'll show you how to love me. And I just wanted to put that out there that she recognized, she recognized that, so. Well, yeah, and what I think is the best way to raise daughters is by loving the mom. And that's the best way to raise sons as well because women have to be respected and... Well, sons, you better teach them how to cook and clean, so I'm sorry. <laughs> well, being a person who was taught by my mom and my grandmother how to cook and clean, and... That's the way that he got to my heart, by the way. Let me just interject that, is that I was, a, uh, I was dating a guy that could um, make um, all types of um, interesting food and because he, and when he was in graduate school and they sailed around the world and he took cooking classes in Barcelona and France. And so he brought a little something, something to the scrambled eggs that brothers from the hood don't know about. It's not just some fried bologna and, you know, some fried well, I eggs. I think so. also what has to be done as we look forward in the future of dating for black people as a whole and people in general is that I believe fundamentally individuals have to develop a character and a point of view of their own initially before they step out into the dating scene. Mm -hmm. So they know who they are and what they are and what they want. So this ambivalence isn't transferred into the relationship, whether it's online or offline. I believe that she has two wonderful, well, she has many wonderful friends in Washington that I've had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, some single, some happily married. Her, wonderful sister, 
sisters. Sisters, one married, one isn't. But there's her one sister in particular, Lois. I try to point out that there's nothing wrong with internet dating, and well, you didn't have to point that out to her. I mean, she's she's married one husband through internet dating, um, and then they've been divorced. They were married for seven years. She's been divorced for the length of time. She's internet dating again. She's in a great new relationship that's a couple of months old. So my point was, and although I, I I love the way you frame that, that everyone should aspire to the best type of relationship they think they need to be the most authentic self.、Mm-hmm. And whether it's through one particular venue or another, I say don't give up on love. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on family. Don't become jaded and janjun that it isn't out there for you, because quite simply, it's it's something you have to work at every day, just like you have to work at your own character, your own career, and、uh, but it's worth ultimately the the payoffs. And then the final thing I'd say about that is to what I've begun to see is. Widen your horizons, right? And it goes back to sometimes, you know, and that could be in all things in life, whether it's your career, whether that's in your relationship, in terms of getting past maybe that real, you know, a list of fifty things to just getting what are your key values and going with that. Well, I think that one is to not take yourself too seriously. And to be self-aware, not making us don't take yourself too seriously, and be willing to admit, but also be willing to if there's something that you see is a development opportunity for your spouse, is you have to take responsibility for how you deliver the message, right? So, and keep humor. And the thing of it is, is that that's been a core. Is the is is to find the ability to laugh with one another, and to find the ability to laugh about your faux pas with someone else, with your partner. I think there's three things. The first is never let the sun go down on an argument. Talk it out. Make sure that you've come to a realization of what the pros and cons are for any decision.、Um, the pros and cons of how to move away from a point that might be difficult as you. As you resolve questions of either intimacy or finances or family or、uh, who's going to do what as far as chores go,、uh, always make those decisions before you go to bed if there's a problem. And I think the second thing too is not being as critical as you can be, but keeping your mouth shut and understanding that. That a person that you love is not saying or doing those things consciously to hurt you, but merely to state their position. I think as guys, we're more solution-oriented and problem-solvers. You come to me and tell me something, I'm going to come up with an answer and how to solve it. That always isn't the case. A lot of times, I find that a wife and most women would share what they are talking about with their loved one or their husband or their partner. Spouse or boyfriend, without expecting a solution, but merely wanting to vent. And so I had to learn that—that that I have to listen and hold back, and not, not always provide that jump in. And maybe these are the options: one, two, three. But waiting until specifically being asked. I think the final thing, as you go forward, even at this early stage of your marriage, is try to find a, a faith foundation. A lot of people think religion and church and faith and those elements are old-fashioned. But having a belief in a faith system, just as you can believe in a better day, a brighter future, getting through a problem,、um, might help your spirit. It also helps your marriage because you have a faith of being able to see what it is when it's wonderful and perfect and just and kind and considerate. Always try to approach it with a lamb, and reject the jaded and janjun, and have fun, and have fun together, and not be so needy about each other, and allow your partners to have fun, 
with the boys or with the girls and not have to be present at all times. Five months, you got a whole five years of 50 years ahead of you. 